Well, we've got a couple more weeks in our series that we've entitled Set in Stone, looking at uh, the Ten Commandments and uh, looking at God's holy standards uh, for living as Christians. And uh, we come to commandment number eight uh, this morning, and we find ourselves once again challenged by this extremely high standard that God has for us. And in this Eighth Commandment, just as it was in the Seventh Commandment, we see that these moral laws of the Ten Commandments hold great truths and great application to us as people under grace. I want to remind us that we do not live under the ceremonial uh, trappings of, of the law, nor do we uh, stand under the civil uh, aspects of the law, but the moral law, which is of course consisting of the Ten Commandments, are still true and real in our lives, as true and real as they were when Moses read them for the first time on those two tablets of stone. And so we see that there's some truths that we have to understand this morning. And as we learned last week when it came to our own marital relationship, that even with what we do with our possessions and how we interact with others' possessions is a key marker of our own Christianity. One theologian put it this way with regards to the Ten Commandments. He said the ten, these ten words, the Ten Commandments, were law to Israel, but they are to be the lifestyle for everyone who is in Christ. And I just want to encourage you to be doing some inventory uh, this week as we've gotten through these first eight commandments. Are these a lifestyle of yours? Do you have God as the one and only in your life? Do you worship him in the right way? Do you uh, honor God's name and God's person by lifting him high and not defaming his name? Uh, do you find yourself uh, living uh, in light of God's truth of setting a day a week apart for him and making worship and our togetherness as a body a priority in your life? Do you honor your mom and dad? Do you then, uh, uh, let's see here, honor mom and dad, number six. I've got a head cold. Help me out here. Number six. What? What's that? Murder. Oh, thank you. Yeah, do you murder? Um, that's a big one. Um, you know, do you have murderous thoughts? Do you uh, have uh, uh, hate that goes unchecked in your lives? Of course, where are you at in your level of purity, especially when it comes to sexual purity, as we learned last week? And today, how do you do with your things, and how do you do with other people's things are what we want to address. My prayer is that as we continue to look at these commandments, we would see a map to holiness, and number two, we would see a mirror to our failure as we approach holiness today, because we're all going to fail. And once again, as we look at the issue of stealing, we're going to find out that all of us, deep down inside, whether we know it or not, are thieves in our hearts. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to ask that you stand again for the reading of just a couple short words. But nonetheless, they are words that are of great application for us this morning. Exodus chapter 20, <clears throat> verse 15 and this is what God has to say to Village Bible Church. This is what God has to say to each and every one of us. This is what God has to say as he did to the nation of Israel, to every person who calls themselves a child of God. Here are his words. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we pray that you would once again come into this place as you have each and every Sunday that two or three have gathered and Lord, you have been made manifestly present here. And so Lord, I pray that because of that presence, lives would be changed, that sin would be confessed, 
that we would repent of our ways and that we would turn back to you. Lord, we are all sinful. We are all in need of your grace this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that we would seek out that grace, that we would long for that grace to shower us, that we would long for your nearness, and so that we would live out the truth of James, that we would draw near to you so that you may draw near to us. Father, ignite our hearts this morning to your truth. Lord, we live in a world that makes mockery and laughs about the issue of stealing. And yet, Lord, we know your standard is higher than the world's standards. And Lord, we know that even though jokes may be made and parodies may come, Lord, with the result of of our thinking on this subject, that you have a truth for us this morning, and your truth is that the people of God shall not be thieves. The people of God shall not go and take from another. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see that truth today. We'd confess of it, and we'd live in light of your pattern for holiness, a people who are content in your provision and providence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just as with the seventh command, we come to one that is so simple and so straightforward. Look at those words again. I don't want us to just think that because it's short, that there's nothing there. You shall not steal. Simple, straightforward, and yet its simplicity packs a wall up. We come to the eighth commandment in this series. And once again, with those four simple words, we find out that we're lawbreakers. We find out, just as we have each and every one of these weeks, that Romans 3.23 is an absolutely fail-safe principle and truth about humanity. For all have sinned and fall short of God's great glory. We need to understand that. The first thing as we continue through this series that I want you to remember is that we fail God. And God is just saying again, what he's saying through me, the preacher this morning, is, hey, preacher, remind my people and remind yourself that you're a failure, that when it comes to my standard, my holiness, you fail. And as you've noticed, I hope none of you have said, well, I'm batting three for five right now. Or or maybe I'm six out of seven, or seven out of eight. I hope every one of us will come to what is a good and robust theology that says, I am 0 for eight, and when you get to nine, I'm 0 for nine, and when you get to 10, I'm 0 for 10, and if God ever saw fit to add some more commandments, I'd fail every one of those, because all uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, each and every one of us to our own way. And so the commandments are that mirror that put us in front of us and say, look at how messed up you are. Look how broken you are. Look how sinful you are. Look how messed up you are. But we know, and as we can see, the totality of Scripture reminds us that we were never to fulfill the law, but one was to come at just the right time and just the right place that Jesus would become Galatians 4, for Jesus would come and he'd be born of a woman under the law. That's important that we recognize that Jesus came and he lived under this law and he did so that he could redeem those under the law. You see, Jesus came and the rescue plan was to rescue us from this law. It was to take us away from this law and say you no longer have to strive and work to fulfill this law so that you can get right with God. I'm gonna make right with with God by fulfilling every aspect of the law. I'm going to fulfill it all so that then I can come and I can put my arm around you and I can bring you to the Father and say, this one is with me. 
He no longer has to strive. He no longer has to work. And the glorious thing is now, as blood-bought, saved individuals, we are able now to look to our God and say, we don't have to do this out of a duty, but we live out these commandments as a deep desire to honor and glorify God. And so I just want us to be reminded of that, that while this beats us up, it is a reminder always that Jesus is there to take care of the shortcomings and the issues. And there's no doubt that this is true in the Eighth Commandment, the issue of stealing, the issue of theft. Not one of us has either been, not any of us have ever been immune to being a victim of this or a transgressor with regards to it. We live in a world that seems to find thievery and stealing and robbery going on in all areas of life. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this regarding our outright failure in following this command. He says, humanity, as we look at all of mankind, is but a vast stable full of thieves. A vast stable full of thieves. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, posed this question to his seminary uh, students. If you leave your house unlocked, or keys in the car's ignition, or if you leave cash and valuables out on the table for all to see, are you more surprised in this fallen world that it is stolen? Or are you more surprised in this fallen world that it is not stolen? We live in a world that seemingly has lost its sight of God's pattern and God's standard for holy living. And so we steal from one another all of the time. In this world, we live within a den of robbers. But before you can say, as you probably have already, okay, Tim, now this one I've got figured out. I've never done that. I've never broken that command. I want to remind you that it seems that when we start out that way, we end up finding out that these commandments are far greater than we would ever know. And I want you to think also that some of you may say, well, I don't remember stealing being such an issue. I remember back in the good old days. I always love the good old days are always good, right? You know, they're always the good old days. They never, no one ever says, you know, back in the bad old days. But it's always the good old days. And in the good old days, we, we had a moral compass. We had uh, an ability to rise above this. It's you young people that have failed at this. It's you young people that have made a mockery of this commandment of stealing to address those two issues that, number one, us good, upstanding individuals don't steal, and that in the good old days it was better, I give you Exhibit A from the Saturday Evening Post of October 3rd, 1936. Now, if you don't look, of course you've got a butcher and a lady there, and there's a joke that is being played because, and and it's done with a level of tongue-in-cheek, we've got two thieves on the cover of that magazine. We've got the butcher, of course, if you see his finger, he is, while looking intently at the dial, pressing down to get every nickel, dime, and penny he can out of that chicken that he's about to sell, but he has met his match because the lady next to him, of course, is pressing up on the scale to fix uh, whatever loss that he may be adding to her, and what he, she is trying to do is to get the chicken cheaper. Both of them, as upstanding as they are, I mean, they look like wonderful people, right? They look like really nice people, but can I tell you, both are blatant thieves. And Norman Rockwell, who uh, was the one who uh, put this together, uh, had a way of being able to tell people where we have failed and where we are missing it and how true this morning 
is what was true in 1936. We live in a world that desires to steal, whether blatantly or overtly, so that we can gain and garner something that is not ours, and that is seen clearly in this picture. Now, where does all of this come from? Where, where did this wonderful butcher and this wonderful lady and all her flowers on her hat, where did they go wrong? I mean, was it their environment? Did they not get raised right? Did, did they uh, fall to some erroneous teaching? No, brothers and sisters, the reason why these two make-believe people that are symbolic of us as humanity, the reason why they are the way they are, why they do these things, is because of the fall. The issue is, is you and I have a disease called sin. And this issue of sin is seen, and the effects of, of the fall are seen over and over and over again, of course, as Luther has articulated to us. And just as the fall affected our marital relations, as we explored last week, we see the fall's effect around us when it comes to our own personal property. We see it every time we walk into a bank. You walk into a bank, and one of the first things you'll see is a big steel door that goes to a closet of sorts called the safe. In a world prior to the fall, there would be no safes. Money would be sitting out, and it would all be there, and there would be no issue. There'd be no cameras in the bank in the Garden of Eden. There would be no security guards because there would be no thought of anybody taking that which isn't their own. There would be no need for the Securities and Exchange Commission of the stock market because men and and people like Bernie Madoff wouldn't be doing the things that they are, robbing and creating Ponzi schemes to take money, millions upon millions of dollars from people who had no idea. We're reminded of the fall every time we have to put in one of those many dozen, because you can't have the same one, the dozen of internet passwords that you have to have. Why do you have to have all these passwords? Because there are thieves out there. There are people who want to take our identity. They want to get into our information. They want to take our personal property. And so every time you type in one of those internet passwords, you are reminded of the false effect when it comes to our personal property and why God said you should not steal. We hear it every time we go to the shopping mall or the grocery store when that lovely family gets out of their SUV and the next moment you hear and you'll hear it over and over again are the two chirps of the alarm system on the car. We live in a world that we can't even trust in the couple minutes we're going to be in the store that our car won't be booted and taken away right underneath our noses. We live in a world that is filled with people who long to have our stuff, and sadly, we want the same thing. Of course, we know this fall and this failure to this command is seen every time we see a missing person report. That of all things, that someone would steal another human being. And we recognize and know that this isn't just something something small, but we will go to great lengths to take whatever we want, even if it's another human being. And so how are we to live as salt and light in this world? of sinners and offenders of the Eighth Commandment. we got to explore three things this morning. It's a quite simple outline this morning. The first thing we need to explore is the proclamation. What did God say with regards to it? And God says, quite simply, four words, you shall not steal. The word steal is the Hebrew word ganaf. And ganaf uh, is a word that we need to have an explanation to. Because if we just say, do not steal, then we recognize that then maybe some of us are thieves. Uh, in high school, I, I got in, into some trouble. Uh, my crime was uh, breaking and entering into a home. I did 400 hours of community service as a result of that. 
And the judge wanted to make uh, not only myself and some others around me uh, be known and aware. You say, why did you do that? I don't know. I don't know why I did a dumb teenage thing. But I'll tell you, it wasted a whole summer. And my job was to dig graves for community service. In the 100-degree weather of that year, I remember me and all the other uh, riffraff of, of the area digging graves so that they could put in a target in the DeKalb uh, area. And so every time I see that target, I just get sick because I remember all the hours of digging the graves of a cemetery to move them. So I'm a lawbreaker with regards to this, and I, I confess that freely. i got to be honest with you. When my dad owned a grocery store, I can't tell you how many times I pilfered a package of bubble gum. I have a baseball card collection that nearly half of it probably is unpaid for. I'm a little thief, and I'm willing to confess that, and the reason why is I want you to think back to all the things that were not yours that you have taken, and my job is to, to co convict us of that and, and for us to recognize it. And I want you to know I don't say that, and I want to be careful. I don't say that to uh, exalt that in any way. That was stupidity on my part. And I broke my father's trust because of that, and, and I broke uh, my society's trust. And, and the individual who uh, I did that terrible thing to their home, I, I got in trouble for that, and rightly so. And we all need to look back and ask the question, where have I transgressed against God's holy standard? And so we look at this word, ganaf, do not steal or you shall not steal. And ganaf literally means to carry something off to carry something off or, or away, let me do that again, to carry something away as if by stealth. So what it is, is most likely, we don't do a lot of stealing where everybody's aware of it, and so this word ganaf helps us that it is taking something that isn't ours, and we do it secretly because we know that by taking something away, we have broken God's commands. We are doing something wrong. And so it's this idea of taking something and doing it in the secrecy of our own lives. Uh, to give a fuller definition, what ganaf means is that it is to appropriate, to appropriate someone else's property unlawfully. To appropriate someone else's property unlawfully. Now according to this, our theft can fall into a variety of areas which we'll look at in our second point. So let's not go any farther with that. But it's here that, again, the Heidelberg Catechism helps us out, a Reformed Catechism. Go ahead and throw that on there for me. It says the following. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? It goes and says God forbids not only the outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures. We'll talk about that in a moment. Deceptive merchandising, what, what that means is that you're a salesman and you tell the individual that what they're going to buy and the reason why they have to pay the high prices is that the product you have will never go, the, go wrong, it will never do them wrong, fully knowing that you're not able to guarantee that. They say that's, that's theft, that's stealing because it's coercing something to do something that maybe they may not because of deceptive practices or merchandising. Counterfeit money is a way of stealing because you take that which is real and you replace it with that which is fake. Usury, which of course is, is the idea of loaning money. Um, our, our credit card companies uh, c continually find themselves on the uh, teetering end of breaking the uh, commandment because of high credit um, uh, charges of percentage. Uh, of course, that's the issue of usury, and we'll talk about a person that, that fell to that in a moment. 
We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. What that means is that, <clears throat> and, and again, real quick, who's our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Everyone, okay? So, so it's not saying, well, I, my neighbor is Kevin and Marianne Laswell. It's not that I, do, I, I haven't defrauded them. I've been a good neighbor. No, our neighbor is everyone. And so what we can't do is defraud our neighbor. And notice, in any way, whether by force, meaning we have the intent of doing it, or by the show of right, meaning it has the picture of being good, that we've talked our neighbor or someone around us into thinking something and they think what we're doing is right, they think what we're doing is good, but we have alternative motives behind it. Doing that is a, is a form of theft. And so it's either by force, blatant, we choose to do it, or we do it because we exaggerate, because we speak in a way that sounds right, but in the end isn't. In addition, God forbids within this commandment all greed. And so when you and I say, this is mine, this belongs to me, it's my money, it's my house, it's, it's my uh, things. When our children say, that's my truck, when that's my toy, that's my doll, that's the eighth commandment being broken. And it's easy to see within a child who's unwilling to share their toys with someone else, they're stealing the joy and the goodness and the fun that comes in us sharing things because we'll remember who is the one that gives us everything? God. And we are to give it, and God says to believers over and over again, we're to freely give that to others because we have freely received. And so we're to give that out. And so when you and I say, no, that's my money, when you say, I'm not going to give it, I'm not going to help someone else out, I'm not going to give to God in the way of offerings and tithes, you hold back, the Heidelberg Catechism says, all greed is a breaking of the Eighth Commandment, and all abuse or squandering of his gifts, and we'll talk about that in a couple moments. That's a lot more than simply going into someone's house or, or seeing a wallet at the table and pulling out a $5 bill so you can go do something. It is a greater law than we would ever know as we've seen with each of these uh, commandments. And so we need to recognize within this proclamation there's an explanation and that we, we are getting it. According to this, our theft falls into a variety of ways. God forbids this. And we need to understand that with result of this, we've got some work to do. We've got some issues in our life that are going to keep us from God's holiness. And so let's look at a couple examples. We need to explore a couple examples. While theft is all over in the Bible... And we see many different aspects of theft going on. There are two blatant ones. One from the Old Testament I want to talk about, and then one from the New Testament. So turn in your Bibles for a moment. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. If you're in the book of Exodus, of course, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Just keep going to your right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 6. And we get our first example. And the first example is one that ends tragically. It's a terrible story. It's a story that we don't like to read about. But in Joshua chapter 6, verse 15, the nation of Israel has just finished up as what is seemingly probably the greatest <coughs> battle that Israel's ever won, and they are coming off of a great high. God has done some great things. They've marched around the city for seven days, and they've, they've thrown no spears. They've done nothing from a military battle except rely on the goodness of God, and God brought the walls of Jericho down. And you can read that, of course, in Joshua chapter 6 in the first part. But in verse 15 through 19, 
we are told of the last part of the battle. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all those who are in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies uh, we sent. But keep, and this is important, look at verse 18. But keep, this is God speaking to his people, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise you will make the camp of Israel, Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. God says, I took the city. All you did is marched around. And so when the city falls and you go in and you take all the plunder of the land, I want you to know that's my stuff. That's my stuff. Keep your hands off of it. Now, I want you to know that only God is able to say that. I heard that from an older brother all the time growing up. My older brother had all the coolest stuff. Older brothers and older sisters usually do. And I would remember I'd go into his room and he'd say, keep your hands off this stuff. It's mine, and if you don't, you will feel my wrath. And many times I did because I was too stupid to keep my hands to myself. But God has the right to say, this is mine. Because as we learn, Kuiper says, all of it belongs to him. He's the one that created it, and so he has the right to say, keep your hands off my stuff, it's mine. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. Notice verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Those things that God said don't touch, they, they touched. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, and the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of them. Now notice what it says. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So they go up and they spy Ai. And, and I'll just, for the sake of time, walk through it. They see that Ai can be taken. It's not even as big of a city as Jericho is. And they say, hey, God says we're to go from one city to the next, and we're going to do that. And so he sends up an army, and what happens is the exact opposite of what happens in Jericho. Instead of winning like he did in Jericho, there is a terrible route that takes place, and Israel's on the receiving end of that route, and they come back, and many of them have lost their lives. And Joshua's beside himself. And Joshua can't figure it out. It says, it says in verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same thing and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign God, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan? <coughs> to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now, now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe our name from the earth. What will then you do for your great name? And then the Lord said in verse 10, Stand up, what you are doing. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I've commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen them. They have lied, and they have put them in their own, with their own possessions. 
This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their back and run because they have been liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever, is, whatever among you is devoted to destruction. He says, go and concentrate, consecrate the people. And so as you continue to read, Joshua starts working through the camp. And he finds out, just as the scripture said before, that in the tent of Achan are all of the devoted things that he took. And we see that because of that thievery, we see that he, not only Achan, but his family. And you can question this, and you can say, hey, I don't understand it, but God was in it. And so when God does things, he does all things well. He puts, he has the whole Achan clan put to death. Now what I want you to understand is, stealing is an affront to God. It's an evil thing. It's not something we laugh at. It's not something we make light of. It is a thing that makes God very unhappy. It makes him angry. It makes him burn with anger. And so we need to understand that when we rob, when we steal, whether it's overtly or covertly, we have to understand that God's wrath is going to be upon us. But I don't want you to sit there and think, well, that is how God operated in the Old Testament. He still does that in the New Testament. You steal, you get caught, there's a good chance you're going to go to jail and your life is going to be dramatically different than what your dreams and plans were as a result of it. And you need to recognize that. But I want you to notice another passage. Turn to Luke for a moment. Luke chapter uh, 19. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to spend a lot of time here. We all know the story. The story is of a wee little man. The wee little man's name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus didn't steal like Achan did, but he stole nonetheless. Remember, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He wants to see Jesus, and Jesus is coming to Zacchaeus' town, and Zacchaeus climbs up that tree because he's a wee little guy, short, and he wants to see Jesus, and he's all excited because here comes Jesus, and he knows that he's unaware that Jesus knows that he's there, and as Jesus passes by, Jesus points to this man, and he says, hey, I'm coming to your house. Get the house ready. Go vacuum. Go clean up. I'm coming to your place tonight. We're going to spend some time together. And I wonder what Zacchaeus' thoughts were. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And the problem with being a tax collector wasn't that that was a sinful job, but that it opened the door for all kinds of sin to take place. And Zacchaeus was full of that sin because in some way, shape, or form, according to his own admonition, in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus has been stealing from people. As a tax collector, no doubt he had the opportunity to levy taxes higher than what Rome or the Israelite sub-government had said was supposed to be taken. And so Zacchaeus is living the life because while Rome is asking for $25, he's saying, hey, Rome is saying you need 50. I'll keep 25. I'll turn the other 25 in, and I'm going to make myself a good living. And when he comes and encounters Jesus, and in a moment with Jesus, notice in Luke 19, uh, let's see here, Luke 19, it says that when uh, he has spent time with Jesus, Zacchaeus in verse 8 stands up and says, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I want you to notice Jesus' words. You say, well, he should be killed. Well, that was true when the law held its reign. 
But in a world and in a time of grace, Jesus gives us as thieves wonderful words. Today salvation has come to this house. And because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Two examples, one that ends tragically and another that ends with salvation. Brothers and sisters, if we do not confess our sins, we remain sinners. And I want to encourage you that if theft is a part of your life, if it's a part of who you are, nobody may know about it, that you start getting right because God never says that he won't deal with you in the ways that he dealt with someone in the Old Testament. But recognize that grace has been offered and take it. Uh, notice the second thing I want to look at this morning, and that's the problem. The problem. Since the days of God's commandments, on the uh, giving of God's commandments on Sinai, theft has been an issue. Of course, in Exodus 22, you can read that for yourself. Exodus 22, there are all kinds of prohibitions against other people's property. 15, 16 verses declare the many different ways that the Israelites could fall to the issue of theft. But what is it about the stuff? What is it about our stuff that makes it so tempting to take? I want you to know theft is the des desecrating of someone else's personal property. I want you to understand this. It is totally, biblically okay for you to have stuff. Okay? There's nowhere in the Bible where we see communism, that the state owns everything, and that uh, we as individuals can have nothing. There's nowhere in there that's foreign to Scripture. And so we need to recognize that personal property is not only something that our government gives us, but our God gives us as well, and he gives it because we've been made in the image of God. The, image, the imago Dei is what we call that. We are made in the image of God, and because of that, we have certain rights. And one of the rights is that we have to personal property. Now, there are two ways that you and I, and I want you to write these down because it's, it's important. There are two ways that we can uh, receive possessions. Number one, we can work. And as a result of working, get paid, and then go and buy something. That's one biblical way to take a possession on for yourself biblically. And the second one, the only other way you can do it, according to God's laws, is to be given it. So someone who has worked for it comes to you and says, here, because of my love for you, because of my care for you, because I see a need that you have, here is this thing. I'm giving it to you, and you can, without any question in your heart, receive it and receive it well. And so those are the two ways. The third way is you can take it from somebody, but that's not a way that's ordained by Scripture. And so the only two ways, according to Scripture, that we can have possessions if we work for it or if it's given to us. Now, we come back to the problem, and the problem is dealing with the third one. Because I'm going to assume we work for things and we're given things, but what happens when we don't get or we don't receive, or we don't have enough money to get the things that we want. That in lies the problem. And so we have to look, first of all, at common and complex acts of pilfering. The problem involves common and complex acts of pilfering. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I don't have the time to do it, but I'm going to have you write some things down. I've got 13 ways. Yes, you heard it right. 13 ways that we steal. Eight of them are incredibly obvious. Five of them are not, so let's get to them right away. The first way that we can steal is through blatant theft. We see something we want, it's not ours, and we take it. You're all adults, you get that, I don't need to talk about it, right? Everybody knows what stealing is, okay? So we know that, that's number one. Number two, 
This one hurts a little bit. When we borrow something and fail to return it. Some of you are going to your garage right now. Shovel, rake, rototiller. Oh, no. Right? There are things in our garages, guys, that we borrowed from somebody, whether it was our dad or a neighbor, and that we have forgotten. Maybe the night got away from us, and it just got put away, and you had the plan. I'm going to give it back, but it remains there. And I will tell you that you are in, according to the commandment, a place of thievery. But you say, well, the guy doesn't even know. He's probably forgotten about it. Who cares? You've stolen. We do this with tapes. and uh, No, we don't do it with tapes. Nobody has tapes anymore. <clears throat> we do this with music and books. We do it with all kinds of things. Our houses are filled with things that we borrowed that we never returned. You do it. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into my office here at the church looking for a particular book, and it's not there. Now, there's two options. Option number one is there's these little minions that come in during the night and want to read that favorite book by Swindoll or MacArthur, or it's one of you. But here's the thing. I do it too. I found this week a commentary on the book of Joshua that had Mario Arendang's name on it. Mario, I got to get it back to you, okay? We do this, and when we do it, we steal. Number three, this is a big one. This is a big one in the recession. I'm going to offend some people, I think, with it. When you fail to clear your debt, you steal. I understand we are in a time where we were not planning on not having employment. When we bought that house, we were planning on paying for 30 years Brothers and sisters, I want you to know under this, bankruptcy is theft. When you say, you know what, I can't pay for it, and so I'm just going to lay it by my side, and the government allows it, that you as the creditor can't come back, and you can't keep harassing me about it, if your bankruptcy, and there's a lot of bankruptcies, but if your bankruptcy says goodbye to your debt, you are failing the Eighth Commandment because you have chosen to take the money and not return it. And God's Word says, it's theft. And so be careful. Be careful that when you go to your credit card company and you say, I, I can't pay it, and so it take away some of the money, I want you to know, while that may relieve you from a financial game plan of an issue, understand that from a spiritual one, all you've done is said to the credit company, hey, I can give you 500, but I can't give you the rest, so take it or leave it. Take the 500 or go. Well, all you've done is you've notified them, I'm going to steal from you. Because you took that money when you swiped that credit card, and now you can't pay for it. And so what do you do? Let me tell you something. This is very important. My parents went through horrific debt when I was a kid. And what I heard over and over from my father is, as God is my witness, as long as I live, this debt will be paid. And I remember at one point he was on the phone with a creditor. He says, I don't know how I'll do it. I don't know how long it will take me. But I want you to know I'm going to do everything in my power to commit to paying that debt. And my parents were in some real debt when I was a kid. And I want you to know every bit of that got paid off. And it took years. So don't take the easy thing saying, hey, they're offering me. They're offering it because it's a good business decision just to get you off of their backs. Uh, but, but what it is is from a spiritual level, it's thievery. And you can work that through your own thinking. You can talk with the pastors in that. It is thievery to borrow. Psalm 37, 21 says that someone helps you, someone gives you something, and you don't repay it. Then you're in trouble. Of course, Romans 13, 
verses 8 through 10 says, leave no debt outstanding. Don't let it remain outstanding. Doesn't mean you can't have debt. It means you've got to pay that debt in the time that has been allotted. And if you can't pay it in the time it's been allotted, then you need to be able to ask for an extension. And it is then, and hear this, it is the lender's prerogative whether to give you that or not. Okay, so when you took on that loan and now you can't pay for that loan and you sit there and say, well, well, the lender's not being nice. Well, that's the problem and that's why the Bible says that when we borrow money, we are in bondage to the lender. Here's the bondage. Because that guy at any point can say, no more, I need my money. Number four, I can't preach a sermon on each of these. When we fix the books, some of us do this on April 15th. Ah, did I really make that money? Uh, you know what, I, I, I can hide that. You know, our government's corrupt. It's only going to waste the money. Let me tell you something. God says that you're a thief when you do that. It has to do with our taxes. We have to be careful with it. It has to do with government. I'm sorry, it happens to do with uh, big corporations. Who can forget the words like Enron and Arthur Anderson and WorldCom? People that fixed the book to make the company look profitable and good. And people were investing in those companies thinking there would be a return on their investment. And in the end, because the books were cooked, they weren't able to uh, get any money. In fact, they lost hundreds of millions of dollars as a result. Regular, everyday people. Because a group of individuals cooked the books. They fixed the books. And as a result, they were robbing people blind. Number four. Uh, it involves, uh, oh, fixing the book number four very quickly. It comes down, you know, I'm a caterer. It comes down to catering. The book of Amos says you can't use dishonest weights. And so as 5B's catering, you order 10 pounds of potato salad, I can't give you eight. Well, really, who's going to check? We'll make it look nice. We'll make sure it looks there. But if I can save two pounds on that, that means I can have a little bit more. Amos 8.5 says you can't skimp the measure. You can't boost the price, and you cannot use dishonest scales. Can't do bait and switch. You have to give what you've said you're going to give. Number five, when we misuse our uh, employer's property, Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says to slaves, and the principle is true for us as employees, that we are to live and work in such a way that we can be trusted in all things. Titus 2, 9 and 10 tells us that. But sadly in our world today, and according uh, to many Christian stat statisticians, this is absent. Because Christians and non-Christians alike, employees, fill in false time cards, call in sick when they only want a day of personal time off. They help themselves to office supplies and things that are their employers. They make personal phone calls, and they waste time on the Internet. According to some major statistics, according to the Department of Labor, American workers waste 20% of their time in nonsense personal stuff. What that means is for out of every five days we actually work. And we take a day for ourselves, and we use it for ourselves while the employer or the company is paying us. You're stealing from your employer. Number six, when we waste other people's possessions. Luke 16, 1 through 15. Luke 16, 1 through 15 tells a story of a manager who wastes his master's possessions. The idea here, and he talks about the principle of if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. And some of you are renters right now, and, and you've made a stain on the carpet, and you're like, well, it's not my carpet, so who cares? I have employees, and I love my employees, but can I tell you something? With kid gloves, they, they massage their cars. They massage them. 
Okay, I'm not joking. My little car, it's wonderful. You don't touch it. I have to have three parking spaces so no one hits it. But they get into one of my catering vans and it's reckless abandonment. Well, it's just a catering van. I don't care. It's my catering van. And we do this all the time. Well, it's not mine. You know where it hits you? When you get into the rental car and you take that rental car for the ride of a life. Well, it's not mine and you're supposed to beat these things. We fail when we do that. Okay, I've talked about employees. How about employers? Number seven, when we pay bad wages or withhold or delay the payment for services rendered. As an employer, if I don't pay and I say I'm going to pay on the 15th and 30th of every month, I'm a thief if day 31 comes or 32 or 33. And I say, you know what, hey, I'll get to you guys. I've got a cash flow issue I'm robbing them of what is theirs, what is rightfully theirs, and I'm a thief. It also comes into our everyday life. I want to be very clear about this. Just because someone will work for nothing doesn't mean you pay them for nothing. Do you understand what I mean by that? You find someone because they're in an economic hardship or because they come from a country of a different origin, and they'll do, they'll do that mulch work for half of the price you know everybody else is charging. As Christians... We shouldn't sit there and say, what a great deal. We need to recognize, we need to pay him what is a good wage, an honorable wage, because he is trying to do an honorable work. When we choose not to, and we do this on a national level, we rob from God. We rob from God and our brothers and sisters. Number eight. Number eight, when we as adult sons and daughters fail to repay and care for our aging parents. Our parents have given to us, they've sacrificed for us, and we are told those who do not provide for their family are worse than the infidel. When we fail to see our parents in disrepair or, or struggles or pain, and we are not there helping them, and we're not there ministering to them, and we're not there, we're robbing our parents of the blessing that family was to be. And that was when we were young and in diapers, they took care of us, they protected us, they watched over us, they gave us everything we needed. And in turn, and there's, there's a measure to that, and wisdom and discernment's gonna help, but in the end, if we see our parents struggling and not doing something about it, we're robbing them of what we ourselves received. Now the not so obvious, number nine, we steal through the theft of a reputation of others when we slander them. You and I, one of the things we possess is our reputation. In fact, I would say more important than all my things is my reputation. Because who cares what kind of house I have or what kind of car I have or any of that. If I don't have my reputation, I got nothing. And so when one slanders me or I slander someone else, I steal from them their good name, and I do so usually for my own good. Yeah, that, that no good nothing so-and-so, he's no good, you know, he, he, he's, he messes up, he has all kinds of issues, all kinds of struggles. But let me tell you, I do a good job. In business, we do this all the time, right? Well, I'm not sure I'm going to either go with you or I'm going to go with them. But let me tell you about them. Can I tell you what I know about them? They're no good. They're lousy people. Their stuff is garbage. When we do that, we steal their reputation, and we do so because just as we steal that $5 bill from the wallet, there's something we want, and we'll take it from whoever we have to to get it. Number 10, we steal when we take moral purity away from others. 
This is more important to parents and then to those in a dating relationship. Parents, when that word of cursing comes out of our mouth and our little kids hear that, we take away their purity. When we, because of our own neglect, allow them to watch things that they shouldn't watch, we're stealing from them their moral purity. Oh, we think it's okay, and it's all right for adults to watch that, and by the way, it probably isn't, but it's okay for us to watch it. And then our kid's sitting right there, and they're seeing the blood and the carnage, and they're hearing the language, and their little minds are taking in all this stuff. Brothers and sisters, all we're doing is taking their innocence and the image of God that he's placed on them, and we're defiling it, and in doing so, we steal from them. And then it happens in the back seat of a car when a young guy says to a young girl, hey, let's go a little farther today. If you really love me, you'll do it. And I want you to know, young lady, what that man is doing, what that boyfriend is doing, is he's trying to rob you. And you wouldn't dare let him rob your purse. So why in the world would you let him rob your virginity? And likewise, girls to boys. When we steal the moral purity, and some of us have been there, and we, and we live with that, and we hate that within our past Number 11, when we plagiarize someone, we steal. This is huge in the preaching world. Some years ago, I was made aware of a pastor in southern Illinois who not only was taking what I had produced myself, but was taking it and selling it. He would package a whole bunch of sermons, and there were some good sermons in there, by the way, and he was taking them, and he was selling them on the Internet. I just had not too long ago, I think I told you this, a conversation with a pastor who for the last seven years has never written a sermon of his own. He would hit the print button, come up with the sheet, and read the sermon. And he had a growing church, three times the size of Village Bible Church. And he had gotten caught, and his biggest fear was, I don't even know if I can preach. I don't even know how to do it. And so we plagiarize. We do it. Some people in our world have PhDs, and their PhDs are nothing because they stole from someone else. We're thieves. So just to be careful with this, I received most of these 13 things. You think, I'm smart, man. You came up with these? No. Guys like Alistair Begg, Philip Ryken, Albert Moeller, Heidelberg Catechism, and some other commentaries were very helpful in this. And the reason why it's so important that we say that, and I try to do that as much as possible, I don't want it just to become a uh, footnote sermon, but I want you to know that because I want you to know I didn't come up with this stuff on my own. Good and godly men worked hard to come up with these things, and I am reaping some of the benefits of it by that, and we need to be careful of that. Number uh, 12, number 12, we steal when we cheat in the classroom. When you look to someone else's test page, you're stealing their intellect, you're stealing their study time, you're stealing. And so when you cheat in education, you steal. Number 13, this is a doozy, when we steal, when we fail to give God everything we owe him. Most of the parables of scripture are about stewardship. And so if you're not giving to the Lord something, something that you have uh, put together between you and him, I'm going to give this, you're robbing God. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 says, you're not giving to God, you're robbing him. It ain't, it ain't because of me, the pastor. I've got my own issues. I've got to give to God myself. And so you need to understand, and you say, well, Tim, don't make giving a guilt trip. I'm going to because God does. You don't give back. You are robbing him of what is his. Can I go a step further? When you don't use your gifts and talents, 
When, when someone comes and you are no doubt totally um, gifted in a certain area, you love kids and you know it and, and, and you uh, have a gift in serving kids and when one of the people come and say, we need you to serve and you say, I'm busy, not only are you robbing those kids of blessing, but you're robbing God because God gave you gifts to be a part of a body and you are saying, no, for whatever reason, I'm not going to serve in that way. I'm going to do my own thing. And so we see that. I've got to get moving here. I didn't think this would be a long sermon, but it's becoming one. So what do we do with all of this? We need to understand where this problem comes from. It comes from our contentment with God's provision. I want you to understand stealing comes because we're not happy with what God has given me. Because I don't have $5, I'm going to take $5. Now God didn't plan on me having $5, and so I had to go around God, and I had to go around that person, and I had to take that $5 from that purse. And as a result of that, the thief lives according to a mantra. There is no God, and there is therefore then every man for themselves. So to survival the fittest. And so if I see that you have something that I want, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to take it for myself. But brothers and sisters, as believers, Psalm 73 tells us that what do I have in heaven but you? That there's nothing on earth that I want but you. And so when we say, when we look and say, man, I could really use that extra money or I could really use that, that one thing that I've taken, that God would remind us that, ain't I enough? Haven't I not given you enough? Well, my house isn't big enough. God says, your house is plenty big. I gave it to you. Be content with it. We'll learn this in a couple weeks when we deal with the issue of coveting. But we need to understand that our thievery comes to a lack of contentment when it comes to God's providence and provision. He's put you where he has. He's given you what he's given you. And we need to be content in living our lives as a result of that. Number three is our contentment to the priority of work. How do we deal with the temptation of stealing? The answer is we work. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief steal no longer, and let him work so that he may share what he receives with others. And so one of the ways that we keep from stealing is we work hard and we buy for ourselves the things we will. And what we need to come to is that you don't get anything for nothing. You don't get it. And so what you need to do is you need to work. You need to work hard. You need to put in a, a, a day's wage so that you can then take the capital you've received and go and buy something. That's the way that we buy legitimately. But notice, we're going to see here in a moment, that the text tells us that the reason why we work isn't simply to take care of ourselves, but Ephesians 4.28 says, so that we can share it with others. And so that leaves us with the pathway. Number three, the right path. And I want you to know within this, as we, as we close out this thing, there are three attitudes that we can have when it comes to things. Because if we have the wrong attitude when it comes to things, then we will end up stealing. And so the first attitude is this. Write this down, okay? The first attitude is what is yours, what is yours is really mine. What is yours is really mine, I'm going to take it. That's the attitude of a thief. He doesn't see your stuff, and we don't see that person's stuff as theirs. We see it as ours. And so therefore, we can take it, and that's how we begin to uh, do that. Number two, the second attitude is what is mine is mine. 
and I'll use it for myself. What is mine is mine, and I'll use it for myself. This is the attitude of selfishness, and it is thoroughly condemned in all of Scripture. And so this is the hoarder. This is the one who keeps building for themselves and keeping for themselves. But this is where you and I need to be. The believer says, what is mine, what is mine is God's. What is mine is God's. Therefore, I'll share it. And as believers, the reason why we talk about money and time and resources and why that is, a, is an ongoing beating drum that we keep beating is because we are so prone to either one or two of the attitudes instead of number three. And we need to be reminded of that. The money in my bank account isn't mine, it's God's. And yes, I'm called to provide for my family, but that's a fine line of taking care of my family and just keeping it for myself. And so when I see a brother or sister in need, I need to provide for them. When I hear that someone's going to go off onto the mission field and they need help to share the gospel, I, wanna, I need to help them. And that's why we do that as a church and as a people. It's not to, to just push an agenda, but it is to do what Scripture says. And so what is the right path? Write these two things down. If you want to stop being a thief, then stop trying to get. Stop trying to get. God says stop storing up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and locusts will destroy, where rust will destroy. Stop doing that and start storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So stop trying to get and start trying to give. What do you have? The greatest positive of this negative commandment is the opportunity to give freely. Have you thought? So many times we think about what I'm going to do with that promotion money, what I'm going to do with that inheritance, what I'm going to do with all of these things. In our thinking, do we ever think, when I get that promotion, I'm going to be able to give more? With that uh, freedom that I have, I'm able to serve more. If we live as the thief or as the one who plunders for themselves, then we stop trying to get. But when we start trying to give, we start living as Christ did. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and I thank you for your word and this truth. Lord, speak to us this morning with regards to it. There are many applications there are many scenarios and situations. Lord, make us pure in this. And it's going to mean what Zacchaeus did, and that was to restore and to create restitution. Lord, I pray that that would happen. We'd go to that individual we stole from. We'd go to that person that we've slandered. We'd go to that individual that we've borrowed something from. And we'd return it so that we are no longer our thieves And then, Lord, on top of that, that we would, with an abundance of what you've given us, that we would give freely to all. Lord, give us a heart of generosity to not seek first our kingdom, but your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that you will add all of the things that bother us and concern us and bring anxiety to us. You will take care of those things, and you will do it in your right time and right season. Father, I thank you for a people who already are generous. But Lord, I challenge us all that we know that we can do far more. And so, Lord, I pray that the cultural entanglements and the cultural sins that we find ourselves a part of, that we would break free of them. And in doing so, that we could walk the life of faith that you've called us to. Now, God, send us from this place. Allow us to fellowship with one another. And allow us to serve you faithfully in this coming week. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.